This is the Straight Dope Podcast. Before we get started, I want to take a second to thank a sponsor of the podcast, Mile High Shooting Supply. Go to milehighshooting.com. They carry high-end, high-quality equipment, materials, loading, stuff, and everything that they stand by. They're good people. They're local to me. They have a huge shop and a huge inventory, so you don't have to worry about them running out of stuff. They carry good ammunition. They carry good powders. They carry good brass, good bullets, and just about everything and anything that you would need for what you need to do. So go to their website and get what you're going to use for what you're going to use it for from a company that walks the walk. Now, oftentimes they have promotions and sales. And right now I don't know what the results are, but they just had a kind of a, a giveaway for anyone who ordered something from them online in December, their name was put towards giving away a free Zeiss optic. And they had two of the brand new high-end Zeiss optics. So hopefully they continue to do promos like that. And if you buy stuff from them, you get thrown into that, whether you know it or not. So um, head over there, hit them up, get stuff from them. They're good people. They support good things. The point that you just said about being flexible, um, man, that's super important because you know, if you're not flexible during those times where you don't understand how you're getting the result that you're getting, but you just know that it works, um, you know, you have to start to look at that and, and start to break it down. It's like, okay, you did something and it worked. Okay, mm-hmm. well, let's start examining each and everything that you did and break that down, assign a value to each one of those things, and then start to build data. And I think that's like a huge struggle with a lot of people that, you know, are like getting into reloading, that are trying this stuff, and some days they have success and some days they don't. That's where being flexible comes into play. And it's, you have to look at multiple variables. It's like, if you want to be repeatable and if you want to get this down to a science to which you can, you can break it down to a science to a certain degree for sure. Um, but you have to be willing to accept that there's things that you don't understand and then, okay, well, why is this happening? So well, for the, for the listeners anyway, cause we just kind of jumped right into it. I, I call my buddy Josh and good shooter, good reloader, good guy overall, climber. You know, we have a lot of similarities, a lot of interests. And you now I said, look, I think a lot of shooters are results, results driven. You want to go hunt. You want to go to a match and shoot good. You want to go do this. And, and so my hunch is, Right. You know, my hypothesis was, you know, it's a lot easier if you're results driven, it's a lot easier to get the results that you're looking for because you don't really care how you get to them as long as you get to them. And I hear it on podcasts with people that are winning matches like Morgan, you know, Morgan King on one of his podcasts, you guys could, you know, I'm not going to try to quote him precisely, but I'm going to paraphrase it. He said, if I'm hitting low, I don't care why I'm hitting low. I adjust to hit higher. He gets the results that he's looking for. 
if his velocity appears to be low, he'll add velocity, you know, and, and, and at the, in the moment he's looking for results. He doesn't, he doesn't care why. And I, and I think that that is an important point to make here that if you're looking for results in shooting, if you want a tighter shooting group, you can try a lot of things. And I think there are several ways that you can make your groups tighter. And I think that's a lot easier than understanding the causation, understanding the science, being able to actually explain it in a repeatable way. But for most of us, it doesn't matter. You want to go to a match and win, or you want to go to a hunting trip and be able to hit the target that you're going to. I think it's a lot faster and shorter road to say, look, if you do this this way, you'll get these results. And you can worry about other things. And a lot of people don't have the time, energy, or interest in shooting a thousand rounds to explain something if they can already they can already do it, right? And if I I, I just asked a bunch of people like, hey, you know, what's your load for this caliber? And they say, oh, I haven't changed it for years. It's this because they get the results that they're looking for. They're not they don't they don't care that they're not going to do more load tests. They're not going to do more jump tests. They're not going to do more bullet changing, right? It's just like, this works. Now I can focus on something else. But when I ask them, hey, what are the specific parameters that underlie this? Most of them can't explain pressure. Most of them don't know what the seating depth is. Most of them aren't, they can't tell me more other than I do this and it gives me the results that I want. And I think that that's 100% satisfactory and acceptable uh, when, when it comes to people expecting performance or people expecting an outcome that they're looking for. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's one of the things about that is like, okay, are, are you a shooter or are you a ballistician? Do you work in a lab? Like is your job to deconstruct the components and uh, the mechanics of accuracy or is your interest and in, in, is your job actually shooting and shooting the tightest group possible and making hits. Like, what are, what are you here to do? So if you're here to shoot and be successful and, you know, you have something that's acceptable, you know, why would I, you know, just playing devil's advocate, why would I spend all of this time to try to understand this stuff that actually really doesn't matter to me for what I'm doing? Um, and that's, I hear that a lot about guys wanting to get into the weeds to, to really find out. And I always ask the question, you know, how much time do you want to spend going down the rabbit hole to understand this? And does that matter for what you're doing right now? And like 10 times out of 10, the answer is no. Um, I don't have that much time. I was just curious. And that's cool. That's awesome. But mm -hmm. let's understand that when we go into this. Mm -hmm. Totally. Totally. And to a certain extent, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm kind of both sides of the fence here, right? Because I, wa I want to learn how to handle it just for my personal interest. But I also think that a lot of the parameters people are trying to sell, you know, are meaningless for what I do. Like, okay, you know, if an SD of a two and an SD of 10 literally mean nothing to me, like personally, because of the way I shoot, the size of targets that I shoot at, like it, it's statistically completely insignificant when you're shooting at, you know, one, one and a half MOA targets 
at 600 yards, you know, you're not going to ever outshoot the difference between those. Now, if you're shooting bench rest or you're, you know, at a thousand yards or F class at a thousand yards, like maybe, yeah, maybe. Um, but, but for, but for what I do, but on the other hand, like, I, I, you know, it'd be cool to understand why, because it's like, shit, that, that to me, that's fascinating. On the other hand, you know, I'm not going to make, uh, you know, my life's work hopefully doesn't involve, you know, reloading expert as, <laughs> you know, that's just not, not a, not a goal of mine, but the, but what, but the, but the point of this is, is because of the listeners, there's, there's a lot of debate, you know, and there's a lot of information about there that that's trying to pin things on causation when most people are looking for correlation patterns that are repeatable and they don't, they don't really care beyond that because they just want to be able to get to the activity that they're doing. And I feel like that really helped what helped me on that process was taking a break from loading and shooting two years of exclusively factory ammo. I think I went to the store, I bought the ammo, I went to do what I wanted to do with it. And I realized my results weren't any different, but I had to do some things. And I had to do things to correlate my expectations to, you know, a parameter. Like I, I want, I still wanted to shoot half inch and I had to do things to that factory ammo to make it shoot half inch. I never got factory ammo that I could consistently shoot half inch groups to. And I experimented with things to make that happen. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so in your experience, like what, you've tinkered with a lot of things. I don't, I don't, I don't want to like make a rule of thumb that people are like, Oh, Josh said, do this, do this, do this. But, but over, over time, have you noticed particular variables that did have an outcome on the performance of your, your ammo? In particular? Yeah. As far as, yeah, as far as um, loading, I, I, I would say, um, you know, the, the two things that I see the biggest, um, result in the field in terms of like my loading, um, is, you know, bullet seating depth and neck tension. Um, and neck tension is one of those things like that's, that's a whole, that's like unlocking Pandora's box, right? Um, neck tension is one of those things that if you sit down with an F class shooter, a serious F class shooter, bench rest shooter, or even guys in the tactical world that have a ton of experience in reloading, you know, we talk about neck, neck tension and why that's so important. Um, because literally that's, that's the one factor that, okay, well you have your powder charge, right? That powder charge is going to create X amount of pressure based on what, based on the seating depth, how far the bullet is inside of the case. But then what's what's holding that bullet there it's the tension on the neck right so how how quickly is that case able to let go as it swells up and allow the bullet to exit right like neck tension is huge i can literally take the same powder charge like let's say 38 grains in my 6x47 and i can literally just throw a charge stuff a bullet in. I make sure, okay, it clears the mag. It's, it's not jammed. It chambers easy. And then I can literally go in and change my neck tension, you know, three thou up and down. And I can get 
wildly different groups with different SDs. Um, and it's, it's huge. Um, it's one of those factors that I can always go back. And if something is shooting really shitty, um, then I'll go back and I won't mess with powder charge. I won't mess with seating depth. I'll go and change my neck tension and take that out and check it again. Sick. Okay. I'm going to stop you there because I don't, I don't want people to think I'm going to do what Josh does and get the results that he gets. I want people to think, okay, if I'm going to tinker with stuff, that's one test that I need to do for myself and get my, my results. Right. Like I, yes. I really want people to say like, okay, the reason I ask you is because I, I, consider you, you know, a credible source that if, if, you know, I ask you questions all the time and, and, and we talk all the time and it's like, all right, I'm going to listen to you. Right. But just like the other podcasts, like I, I got to see it for myself, but if I'm going to test a variable, you know, I'm going to make a list of things that I want to have test results on for myself. Neck tension will be one of those. Right. And I've actually been, yes. I've actually been doing that to tell you the truth. Yeah. And, and if I ask, um, I can think of one person in particular that if I asked them basically the same question, they would say what you said, but they would say seating depth, right? Correct. Then yeah. if I asked somebody else, you know, they would say tinker with your charge. And if I asked somebody else, um, they might say, um, I, you know, I would just leave it there and play with the tuner. And, and what, what I would say to everyone is isolate each of those and test each of those and see what the results that you get are. Now that doesn't mean what, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, one thing to insert here, right? So this is, this is uh, where a lot of confusion comes in, right? I say I go and I, and I check neck tension and bullet seating depth. Okay. I go number one to neck tension here's one of the funny things. Okay. I'm shooting, I'm talking specifically about one cartridge that I shoot the most, which is the six by 47. Okay. With a certain reamer, not everyone's chamber that's shooting six by 47 is cut with that same reamer. Okay. Not everybody's throat on their rifle is same is the same. Not everybody's barrel is the same twist rate, the same. Um, not everybody has the same amount of firing pin pressure. Okay. So like, when we talk about these things, you know, don't go and just immediately check your neck tension. You know, I'm of the same school of thought with you about when you do these tests to make sure that you are isolating them, just like you said, check one thing at a time, regardless of if that's your, your tuner break. Okay, cool. Check, check your tuner break, but only do one thing at a time and log that and track it. You know, the, none of this is gospel, like everything that we talk about not a bit of it is gospel you have to go and test for yourself exactly and that's kind of what i'm getting at i think everybody i don't think there's gospel in this and when people say well you know here's all these data that's being shown that's all garbage right that yeah that that yeah. means nothing when when you can go and repeatedly perform something now i'm not saying like you know you shoot a small group and and you're done you need to continuously shoot a small group i just posted a test that i did and <clears throat> on in my story on at gun around the sun and you know i shot i shot 55 rounds on one variable and 60 rounds on another variable and i showed like okay it's like there's about 0. 0.4 
of an inch difference between the two. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's statistically significant. I think that's real. I think that, you know, the maximum group size of, of the small one and the minimum group size and the maximum and minimum of the big one, I think that it shows that, that whatever that variable was that I was testing, which I'm, which I'm actually never going to share because I want people to test these things for themselves. I want them to be able yeah. to say, if I isolate a variable, I can produce consistent and lasting results. That, that's it. Because it doesn't always, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know that. I think like what you said, like I can imagine a scenario where I did the same test with a different gun, different caliber, different chamber where I wouldn't get these results, but for this gun and this bullet, right. For yeah. me, um, this variable has a significant and lasting effect. And it was done over the course of several days. So it wasn't just one day I shot good. It was repeated over multiple days. And here's the thing, like, I'm not trying to disprove anything. I can't afford that because I'm results driven. I have goals and I want my equipment to work right. There's no benefit to me to go out of my way and waste time and money showing, look, this is garbage, right? I mean, that's idiotic, right? I mean, I, I think that's idiotic because I have nothing to sell and everything to gain only from performance and the performance of others. Like, it literally makes no sense to me. I'm trying my best to find something that works good consistently. So, you know, I take the, I found the, a cutoff threshold. Like, you know, with most of these variables, you can find that, that point where when you cross the line, it's better. Right. My guess right. is with neck tension, right. It's probably similar. Like, you know, it's yeah. bad, bad, bad. All of a sudden it crosses it. And then maybe one, you know, maybe for the next two thou it's good. Three th- I don't I don't know but but what I'm saying is like you cross that line and so I I just got on either side of that line and I repeated that test over and over again to say like God can I trust this well shit 55 rounds I can trust it you know I I don't trust my source of powder so I can't do that many many more tests like this but but like okay cool that that worked um now I can get back to focusing on the results results that I want nobody you know I, I mean I think it would be crazy for you to go out of your way to disprove you know, like, well, what great. You just spent, you know, $5,000 to show that, you know, something doesn't shoot well. Well, fuck, I, yeah. I, I can show you things <laughs> don't shoot well for a lot less money than that. Yeah, <laughs> we, yeah. We want the results a, that we want. There's cheaper ways to boost your ego. Like, that's, that's I mean, that's really yeah. all that comes down to, you know. Right. But I want the, I want the theme and the, you know, the, 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 the thought process of, you know, especially the straight dope. And I know you think this way already, but you've gone and you have a much longer track record in history, exploring experts in other fields. I know you spent a lot of time with F F class and bench rest shooters studying, like, you know, as you had mentors in that world, you know, for, for, for reloading. And I think in field shooting and precision rifle shooting, you know, you're in the, you're, you're in the top 1% of shooters. And, and I, I think that you're an amazing resource, but, but I also think, you know, it's just, it's just one of those things of, okay, cool. Neck tension is something that people should, should potentially test, right? What, what are the downsides of neck tension? I, I think that if it's, if it's too loose and you're a field shooter, like you, you can run into some problems. So you, you know, I, that's the only caveat that I would say is like, if you have half a thou of neck tension, um, there's, 
some risks associated, not, not risks to you necessarily, but, but like, you know, if you chamber around and it touches the lands and you extract it, you could pull a bullet out and powder spills everywhere. Right. Or yeah. Not, you, not only that, if you have a double feed um, and you go to cram another round in, guess what? Most likely you just knocked your seating depth way off. Um, and so <laughs> your next, your next shot, I mean, who, who knows what's going to happen with that sucker. And if you knock it back too far, now you got pressure issues. Um, you know, you, it's, there's a lot of problems that could come from that. I want to ask you, I want to ask you a question that I think is probably the most un, un, under asked question and the most underrated thing in terms of reloading and checking your loads. So those 55 rounds that you fired, <clears throat> how confident are you that every single time you pulled that trigger that you were on the gun exactly the same. Okay. So like it's in the exact same spot in your shoulder pocket, your cheek pressure is 100% consistent. Your grip, how tight your grip is on, on the rifle, your, your trigger press, like how you come into the gun, like how confident are you that, or, or what is your confidence level that each one of those shots was dead nuts consistent? I, it, it's definitely not a hundred percent, right? I'm not the world's greatest yeah. group shooter, but that, that's why my, so I'm going to, I'm going to preface this with another thing is <laughs> like, I, I know the parameters for me that work and I, I don't think I could shoot consistently better than half inch. So I said a half inch requirement, you know, it has to shoot on average better than half an inch. Like I'm not looking for a point one, point two. I, I don't, I can't shoot that consistently. So, so to answer your question, <clears throat> my variability on good shooting ammo is, you know, up to half an inch when I'm doing good. But, but obviously for some people, that's not very good. You know, I, I, if I shot 55 rounds, uh, you know, or, or 11 groups of five shots, you know, this test, the average was 0.45 or something like that average. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. That, that meets the requirement of being, you know, half inch load to me. Yeah. I, I know for sure if, if somebody loaded me like the world's greatest ammo, like if, if, if because you know, that, that they could demonstrate in a vice was 0.1 all day. I'm not sure I could shoot better than 0.45 anyway. Yeah. You know, with my, you know, from any, any given position. Um, and I, and I, you know, because of riflecraft, I work on consistency across <laughs> positions. So, but I also understand that like, for me, my ultimate requirement is the ammo, you know, I, I have to be able to sh consistently shoot half inch. And then I would like my craft to be like between one and 1 1.2 or, you know, or, or the that craft number itself would be like two between two and 2.2 or something like that Yeah, on, on the crafts, on the craft scale, or, or if you're going to measure, um, because of the way that I measure things and the way 
we measure things on craft. Like it's a little bit different what people like to do, which is just take a picture of their group. Um, yeah. you know, I, I want it to be measured from the point of aim. So if the ammo itself, I don't care, you know, if the groups are consistent, whatever, but then when I'm shooting it myself across positions, now I do care based on the point of aim and from the point of aim, you know, I don't want that group bigger than 1.2 inches, but that's yeah. 1.2 inches. So that's 0.6 inches out from my point of aim in a circle. And I want all my bullet holes in there. Like, you know, the center of the bullet hole, like it could be piercing the line, but you know, that that's kind of my goal personally. And that's where my fundamentals are at and people could do better. Um, but, but people, people could do worse too. So, um, so I, I don't, I, I do think that at that level, more and more and more of those extreme minutiae make massive differences because now percentage wise, you know, a 0.1 difference is a bigger percentage. Like if, if you have a load that's 0.4 to go to 0.4 to 0.3, that, well, that, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's 25% of what you were shooting. You're trying to take off 25% of it. Like, well, 25% is a lot. You know, if you're going from four inches to three inches, that's 25% too. I think that's a lot easier than 0. 0.4 to 0. 0.3. Yeah. Right. But, but yeah. I want to, I want to keep, I want to keep it back on um, some of this stuff. So, so neck tension, the, the only risk that I think that, that, you know, people have like, you know, major one is that, that we, you know, with no neck tension, um, you've got more problems than good. So for field shooters and precision shooters, I would, I would, what, what, I don't know what the threshold is, but for me, like, man, I, I put an expander mandrel, you know, screwing around and didn't really do much, but I noticed that like one thou neck tension, um, it made me nervous, <laughs> you know, when I measured yeah. it, I was like, okay, cool. Uh, you know, and, and, um, well, I, I know how I measure it. Like, would, would you tell people that don't know how to measure neck tension? how to do that. Cause it's pretty easy. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can, the first part, um, I mean, there's a, there's a couple different schools of thought here, but I always measure the case neck wall thickness. Okay. So you, you take your neck wall thickness. So let's say, uh, and, and first off, like when we're measuring that, I mean, you're not going to get a super accurate read with, you know, uh, your, just your standard calipers. Like you've got to have a micrometer to check your neck wall thickness. Um, but you can literally just measure the outside of the bolt. So if it's 243, right, we've got our bullet and then we measure our sized case. Okay. The outside of the size case, we take that total number, we put our bullet in there, and then we minus that, and that's going to tell us what our neck tension is. Um, and so I, I think that's kind of a coarse way of doing it. Um, I measure the neck wall thickness. I add those numbers together, okay? And then I measure after the case is sized on the outside. I take those two numbers, I combine them together, and then I put my bullet in there. I subtract that, and that'll tell me, okay, well, I've got, um, you know, three thou of neck tension, or I've got a thou and a half or two thou. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, all I did was like, you know, I measure the outside of the neck diameter, 
before I seed it and then after I seed it. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just a course idea of like, okay, cool. Like how much did it change when a bullet was pushed in there to kind of squeeze it out? Um, but, but, but I think that, that, that's, you know, obviously that that's interesting. Um, all right. What are some, what are some other, other parameters that are really popular seeding depth? Like, yep. um, people can argue about a lot of things and I, I can change the seeding depth and not get any results. And I can change the seeding de- depth and get results. And I, and, the, and I can do that repeatedly. Um, you know, and, and, but again, like, for me, when I, when I, when I do seeding depth tests, they're big, like 30, 20, you know, 25, 30 thou jumps. Yeah. Um, they're, they're not one thou, one thou, one thou. And I've seen bench rest episodes saying that, you know, well, they're what they, what they consider jump nodes are like six thou wide. And so, they, mm-hmm. you know, they're doing, they're doing these tests that are like two thou jump <laughs> tests or whatever like that. And I, I just don't do that. Um, but I can, doing my big test, I can find a spot, you know, often where one of those big jumps is consistently bigger. And one of those big jumps is consistently smaller. Um, and I, and I would, you know, is that, is that something that you do or, or, or have done and seen the same thing, or do you see different, different results doing stuff like that? Yeah, I, I do a very similar thing. Right. And when I, when I work with guys with reloading, you know, I talk about, um, you know, I like to put into an analogy one of two um, versus one if if you're having um, or if you're you're drawing a, a picture that you, you really want something really nice done afterwards, um, you're not going to start off by trying to get the details um, on 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 a portrait when you're drawing someone's eye. You're not going to start in the middle and totally detail out their iris, right? You're gonna you're going to roughly shape out a form and then you're going to start to tighten it in. Um, so I like to do these big coarse movements first, like you were saying, you know, of a 30 thou. So I like to go on the lands and then I push 25 back and then I push 25 back and 25 back and I start to look for what's tight. And then I go into that zone and now I reduce that spread by 50% or so. And I go up and down and I, I see where the trend is going. And then if, you know, depending upon what my expectation is and what I, the result that I'm looking for, you know, I'll keep tightening it up, but generally I don't have to. Um, I like to start real coarse and then tone it down and dude, like, I know a lot of guys that will go in two thou increments up and down, um, I've done that. I've been there, done that. Um, I don't see that it's really necessary for what we're doing. I can generally nail my seating depth by testing in five thou increments at the smallest. Um, and I know there's, you know, I'm sure there'll be some chat like that's, that's obscene. Um, you know, that's just way too coarse, but it comes down to what your expectation is. Okay. So like we're shooting, we're shooting big ass targets. Um, and so am I shooting, am I shooting at paper at a thousand from the prone position? Um, no, I'm not like this is, we're shooting a dynamic sport. So seating depth, yeah. Course too small, very simple. I like to do it that way because it's fast. 
Um, I don't like to sit there and put a ton of time and a ton of thought into it. Um, you know, I'm interested in finding that result as fast as possible. So that's the method that I use that I think is the fastest way to the desired result. Awesome. So I'm going to sound a little bit like a hypocrite, but it, it's on purpose. Well, you know, I, I agree with you. And when I do these tests, because I'm goal oriented when I'm doing this stuff, because it's really just to get my gun ready. When I do that test, if the, if the groups are big, like, you know, I know they're big and I don't need to confirm that they're big, right? If they're small, and I think most people do this, right? You see that they're smaller. If they're smaller consistently, you're right. I zone in on that. And then I zone in and I zone in and I zone in and I just make sure that it's repeatable. If it's repeatable and it stays that way, I don't, I don't need to test those other zones anymore. What, what I'm concerned about is that the good that I found, right? The, the satisfactory level that I found stays that way. And now I'm going to start testing parameters outside of that. Like, okay, now I have this load and it shoots 0.4. Can I change other variables that, that I can't account for because I like to travel? So can I change the temperature and does it stay like this? Can I add, you know, water to it and make sure that it withstands a pressure test? Can I, you know, but, but I don't need to confirm anymore that the other ones are bad. You know, I just need to confirm that the good one is good. And I hone in on that. And I almost don't care about anything else other than that that stays that way, no matter what I do to it. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the goal oriented mentality of these tests is do I want to spend, you know, $500 proving that the big group stays big? No. Right. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. But have I found small groups on those initial tests that turned out to be bigger? Of course, absolutely. But, I, but I've also been able to zero in on small groups that stay that way. And then I continue to manipulate them and pound them until I'm like, okay, I have confidence in this. And confidence is going to come down to a personal decision. Like, is this good enough to meet my expectations? Do I trust traveling from here to there? Do I trust you know, wh wh whatever my requirements are? Now, now, the flip side to that is that I do like to understand why. And so I'm, you know, on the side outside of like my shooting requirements, you know, I'm just curious about, you know, some of the details, but, um, you know, that, that's why I kind of said like, it's going to sound hypocritical because if I'm, if I'm going to try to get a particular result, like really, I want my gun to shoot the way it shoots so I could go do my job, you know, the way that I expect to. And, and I don't need to explain it anymore. Like, you know, uh, I just want it to work right at home you know, I want to continue to explore this because I, you know, I don't think our understanding of what's going on is, is all that fully developed and hashed out. So, that, so I think that that's pretty fun, but it, it's fun to hear about the variables that people, people manipulate that could potentially have good results and then, you know, get them. And if you want to try to explain why later, like that's cool, but at least you have something that works good in the meantime. Right. So I, I do encourage yeah. people to you know, get something that works good first. Yeah. And if you want to worry about the details later, do it, but don't say like, well, this works good. It's the only way that's where some of these problems come in. Like, you know, I did this and got these results. If you did anything different then you know, you're an idiot. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that's, that's, that's ludicrous. Yeah. Right? But I yeah. also caution people saying like, well, 
you know, you have to do it this way or, you know, you have to do it this way. I've also heard people like, well, if, you know, if it doesn't shoot, you know, point, you know, point three, then I throw away the barrel. And it's like, well, you're starting off knowing what the load is and what the charge is and what, you know, like if, if I gave you a six by 47, my guess is you don't have to do much tinkering to get a load for that rifle because you kind of know what works for it already. Um, not a lot of people have all of that. So what variables, you know, do they manipulate with the system? What, what's some other things that you can think of that, you know, are worthwhile things for people to go test, you know, with, I don't know how many rounds it takes to do some of these tests. It doesn't have to be excessive. It just has to be repeatable um, for, for the results, right? Not maybe not for the understanding or for the disproving other things, but we don't, we don't really care about that. Right. We want consistent results that, that stay their way. And then when you get something that works, you know, how, how many groups of five, let's say, are enough to convince you that it's pretty good. Um, I would say when I, when I first kind of got into this, this, um, discipline and when I was first determining that, um, dude, I, I would literally take 150 rounds. You know, once I found a load that I really liked, I would take 150 rounds and I would break it up over a couple days and I would go out and I would shoot groups and then I would put paper up at 600 and I would make sure that each shot at 600 on paper um, was super consistent to the other. And I would literally go and shoot 150 rounds just to make sure that it was consistent. I mean, I've even done other crazy shit as to take my, you know, if it's summertime and I know that I'm going to be traveling to somewhere where it's cooler, I'll literally put my ammo in the car, or in the truck in front of the AC and I'll bring a, a, a digital thermometer with me and I'll get it to multiple different temperature zones and I'll go and then take it immediately out of that, uh, out of the car, right? With it being 50 degrees or whatever, load a mag real quick and shoot a group and see what it does. Measure speed as well. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it, it's, it, it kind of just depends. Like how, how much are you willing to put into something to find out? is, you know, if it's consistent, I mean, like, let's talk about money, for example, like if we're, if we're really serious about this and we're going to be traveling and we're, you know, spending, you know, potentially tens of thousands of dollars a year to go and do this type of stuff, you know, is 150 rounds and 150 rounds with a barrel life lost on your barrel worth finding out if you're going to be consistent over the next potentially, you know, 2000 rounds or more out of that barrel at every event that you go to. Oh, heck no. Right. That's just, that's nothing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's a registration fee versus the $2,000 you spend to go there. And, exactly. And, and, and eat and travel and get a flight and car and rental and all that other garbage. Well, that, that, that's funny. You know, um, just that you mentioned it, I've, it's been cold in Colorado and I took a break from shooting and, 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 but, but I have been doing some tests. And one of the things that I've noticed, I've been testing different calibers, different rifles, different load parameters. So I'm not, I'm not necessarily going to give away, you know, some of the things because I, I really don't want to tell people, I don't want people to listen to me and say, well, this, this happened for you. I could say that I've seen temperature burn powder burn rates. And, you know, they say like, okay, well, as it gets hotter, 
it's faster, right? So, so, so the, so, you know, the hypothesis would be like, okay, well, it's 32 degrees out. So if it shoots, shoots a specific velocity, you know, 50 degrees, it's probably going to be faster. And 80 degrees is probably going to be faster. And 100 degrees is probably going to be faster. And I did one of those temperature tests. And there was a, there were some parameters that I found were the, the temperature from, it was zero degrees, right? It went mm-hmm. up. It went up at 32. Yep. It, it stayed the same at 60 and it went down at 80. Mm-hmm. Like it got hotter, but the velocity went down. So, I, you know, for me, I was like, wow, that's cool. I'm really going to note that. And I repeated it by doing kind of what you did. I, I left I, the heater cranked up as hot as I could get it in the truck. And I left it in there for 30 minutes. And I had the ambient temperature outside was 32. And so I had you know, the difference between 32 and whatever the hell, I don't have a laser thermometer gun thing, but you know, it was car hot and the car hot load was slower, like 20 feet per second slower. Well, (laughs) yeah, that, that seems counterintuitive, but for me, you know, in my, you know, data set, you know, it was repeated over two days to, you know, that, for me, that's enough to know like, wow, you know, I got this result on two different days with the exact same parameters. Um, that's interesting, you know, and I note, I go check, <laughs> you know, like, all right, cool. Like now me, that's just, that's, that's like a, 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 a good thing to know right now. I can't explain it. I'm sure there is. I mean, just like everything in life, I, I know there's an explanation for everything or I, or I have faith that there's an explanation for everything scientifically so there's got to be an explanation for that i don't know what it is um yes i care but but i'm not going to go out of my way to prove it i know that when i do that you know that load gets slower in the summer right or stays the same or or, you know what what, whatever um that's fascinating and i think that that you know if you ask the internet you know some people probably say like yeah i've seen that before but a lot of people will be like dude you're fucking crazy um go have your chronograph checked like have, have you have you seen stuff like that that kind of goes against just the generic like here's a powder burn rate and here's a temperature sensitivity chart and you go fuck that doesn't match my results at all oh yeah dude so i'll, I'll date myself a little bit um but i mean when i when i first got into this and some you know some of my mentors like the things that were hammered into me all the time was that first round impact um, in any condition, right? Um, on on a silhouette at a thousand or, you know, the same MOA size reducing yardages. And so one of the things that was was hammered into my mind was, you know, checking your temperature zones. And, you know, we always, we always hear that tale of, oh, the hotter it gets, the faster it's going to go. Sometimes I've found that that's true. Sometimes I found that it is totally incorrect. Um, and so, you know, what I did was I would measure velocity in every 10 degrees of temperature difference from zero to a hundred. And man, I've seen so many things that are totally counterintuitive. You know, the internet and the forums say this, and then I go out and test it day and day and day in again, and I find out that it's bullshit. And then other times I'll go out and test and it confirms. So mm-hmm. now we circle back to that thing of, of being flexible, right? Not being hard and fast to this one rule or this one 
um, set of, of, or sorry, one form of logic around that topic. Because I've, okay. I've disproved so many of these things for years. Um, and it didn't come because, you know, you're trying to disprove something. It's just, I'm really curious about this. And so I'm going to set out to find out if that's correct. And, you know, a lot of times, a lot of this stuff that I've heard and that I hear people talking about in the field to this very day, um, you know, a lot of it's bullshit. And I know that it's bullshit because I've tested it and I have so many friends in the community, top, top tier shooters that indeed have tested these things, you know, at length and found out, okay, no, there's, there's not really one perfect set that applies to everything. Right. Right. And one thing that I've noted, noticed like in some of this stuff, and I, I kind of like, you know, I get, I get worked up when I see some of these arguments, especially when they're like massively biased. And, but you know, I've got a growing and growing body of friends and people that I trust that are good shooters. And, and most of the people like you, you're, you're, you're really not on social, like you don't have Facebook account. Most of them don't have Facebook accounts. Most of them don't participate in this. And so you, you don't see, or, or they just don't care. They're like, fuck, I, I don't really, you know, let, let the idiots argue. Exactly. I, I, and a lot I, of I don't people that give know, a single hoot. Right. A lot of people that know and can prove things one way or the other, they couldn't care less about doing that because they get the results they want and they can do it. And, and so they don't participate in these arguments. So a lot of the arguments are one-sided versus the other. Now, now I have a funny story um, about like just the, fuck, like what the hell is going on? I'm convinced it's one thing. And then you kind of let it go and let it be something else. And nobody is probably going to relate to this, but, but you can, cause you, cause you're, you're a climber. Like, you know, uh, you know, when I was younger, I, I climbed harder than I do now, but, but you know, I was obsessed with, with trying to, you know, do for me hard stuff, um, you know, relatively quickly, but, but every once in a while I would get caught up on something that, it was slightly easier than what I would have expected to do in a certain number of rounds. Like, you know, I, I used to have like a goal of like any, any, you know, I, I consider myself a certain level when I could, you know, always do routes of that grade within three tries without falling. So I'd red point the route, you know, within three tries. And I, and I usually set that three try max. Like if I can't do it in three tries, like, you know, forget it. But um, I found this route that was really good, but it was a grade or two, less than it was still very hard um but but it was a greater two less than i i my ego identified with shit i should be able to do this first try and yeah. I, I stopped counting but i want to say like you know 30 tries it took me something like 30 tries <laughs> and, and i and i i got and it, now I'm, I'm talking about 30 tries like spread out over a year like there was this move that i just couldn't do and i thought man i'm not strong enough to do that like my fingers so i started training and I trained and I trained and I trained and, and I was like, fuck, you know, like I am measurably stronger. I am like, I was like, okay, I'm not going to like eat for a while and I'm going to lose, you know, five or 10 pounds. So I got mm -hmm. lighter. So now I'm stronger and I'm lighter and I still can't do the move. And, uh, and I'm like, you know, my ego is like freaking out. Like, why can't I do this? Like I get up to this and my hands open up and I fall every time, every time, every time. And we went to the root uh, one, one day and, um, I forgot my shoes. Fuck. You know, I forgot, you know, you go all the way to the, to the, <laughs> the roots. couple, you know, it was like an hour and a half from my house 
And I forgot yeah. my stupid climbing shoes, right? Fuck, you know, what am I going to do? Like, you know, so I warmed up in my tennis shoes and I'm belaying my partner and, and, and like, I'm like, fuck, you know, like I, all I want to do is climb this route, you know, in the back of my mind, I feel like shit, I'm just going to fall or whatever. And, and I borrow somebody else's shoes that shows up, you know, and I'm like, Hey, what's that shoes to you? I'm asking everybody and I have big feet. So, you know, chances are nobody has shoes that'll fit me, but somebody comes and I'm like, Holy crap. Like their shoes fit me. I was like, can I please borrow your shoes? And I didn't even care. Like all I cared about was that they were the right size. Right. Yeah. And I had like, you know, my really soft sensitive slippers and, you know, I could feel all the holds and I was like, you know, I need to have these soft, you know, slippers because my toes can feel whether the friction is right. And if I'm putting enough pressure into it and all that stuff and and issues were a little bit more like of a more of a beginner shoe, less sensitive. The rubber was really thick. You know, it was was Mm -hmm. like, you know, you go to, you go to a match and somebody gives you like a Tika and you've got, you know, an AI and you're like, fuck, all right, this isn't yeah. going to work. Right. But, but what yeah. happens? I send the route. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and, yep. And it was like, I didn't need to be stronger. <laughs> I didn't need to be stronger. It turned out that stiffer, sho- stiffer soles made a difference throughout the route so that when I got there, I was able to do the move for, for well, now I, I can't say exactly where stiffer soles made a difference, but then you know, it dawned on me like, holy crap. So I went out and I bought shoes, not, not the shoes that he had, but I bought shoes with stiffer soles. And I started to climb after that everywhere I went, I brought two different pairs of shoes and I would try everything with two different pairs of shoes. And I found that some routes I did better with, 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 with soft shoes and some routes I did better with stiff shoes. And there was no real rule of thumb other than I could demonstrate the difference by, you know, my perceived exertion and how fast I could climb a route. If I, if I was struggling on a route, I would switch my shoes. And a lot of times it would be like, fuck, that made it easier. And it, and, yeah. and there was no good rhyme or reason for me for that. It was simply a performance metric. So like it's sometimes it's just not what you were expecting. And if you always check neck tension or you always te- check seating depth or you always pull out your tuner, like maybe try one of the other things. And see if one of those other things produces results or if you're like, or, or if you're in the, or if you're in the um, camp of, you know, seating depth doesn't matter, push your bullets in 30 thou and pull them out 30 thou and tell me that they shoot the same like that, you know, just, you know, shoot two five shot groups and, and see what they look like, like, or go buy a box of factory ammo and a tuner. Like that's, that's still not that expensive, right? A couple hundred bucks. Yeah. Yeah. And and see if you can make the factory ammo shoot better than the baseline of the factory ammo in the first place. Right. Yeah. I, there's I another, not, I, there's, there's another free thing. There's another free thing that you can do. Uh, most of us are shooting self-timing breaks, right? Um, unless you've got like the area 419 cone little thing on there. Um, but I don't use those. I, I use just, you know, your APA breaks, or something similar, or a Kelby break. Um, what what the hell is on the end of your rifle? Like you can rotate that thing in and out, just like a tuner. Is it as fine as a tuner? No. Um, so just like you said, there's things that you can do. So um, this here's a little tip for everybody out there. If you if you don't know this, awesome. If you do, cool. But literally, 
shoot a group, loosen that nut out and rotate your brake out 180 degrees, tighten it down, shoot another group, do it again, shoot, you know, five or six different groups, moving that brake in and out. Um, I'm going to say most likely I wouldn't, I wouldn't put all my money on it. Cause I don't know how consistent people are, but you're going to, you're going to see a difference, a, a huge difference. And that's something that doesn't cost any money at all. <laughs> like I, I got like this little ping of like adrenaline. I thought you were going to, when you were like, you want to know something free that you could do? I thought you were going to say, ask Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> ask the internet. It's always true. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, that's great advice. Actually, I didn't think about that. Like if somebody doesn't have a tuner and they have a self-timing brake, yeah, you can rotate that brake out before you tighten the nut down. I forgot that they rotate in and out. And, and, uh, that would be that would be curious. That's something that I haven't tested, but I, but I can say that that you know I've shot a you know I'm, I'm, this is a conservative estimate twelve to fifteen different lots of factory Hornady ammo, none of yeah. which ever I've, I've never had one that shot half five you know consistently five shot groups that were half inch. Most of them were one to one point two inches, and yeah. all of a hundred percent of them I was able to tune to a half inch. Right? Yep. But but that it, it took. I have five tuners. And sometimes it took different tuners. Um, and the only ammo that I was never able to tune was the 6.5 PRC. And, and I don't, you know, I think I listened to Aaron Hip's um, podcast with Kalen and, and Aaron outright, which, which I think is massive integrity on his part. He says, um, you know, different contours of barrel require different mass, you know, moving mass on the end of it. And if you have a really thick barrel, you know, and, and, you know, sometimes you don't get the results that you need. And so they make a heavy one. And he said, look, you know, it doesn't always work. Like it's not, Correct. it's not, you know, we're still in that. We, we can't quite explain it phase, I think, but that doesn't mean that it's not something you could demonstrate to yourself that it, that it works. Right. Like, you know, before we understood medicine the way that we do people still you know with fevers they still put them in ice water or they still fed them things that had now that we understand any microbial properties you know and, and yeah. they, they got to that from trial and error and they may have ex they may have explained it like you know the you know the shrub ghost is you know whatever but the but the point is you know people died or they didn't and and and, and a lot of human history is just doing that kind of simple experimentation like how you explain it, it matters if we're talking about science, but if we're talking about outcomes, it doesn't matter how you explain it, right? You could, you could say like, well, I take my, um, you know, my self-timing break and I give a little bit of, you know, room for Jesus to do his job in there or something like, I, I mean, I, you know, I, it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to me how you explain it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I mean, I only say that because, you know, one of the outstanding jokes there is just send it with Jesus. And, 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 and um, you know, I'm not, I'm not super religious. So, uh, but, but, so I'm sorry if I offended people out there, but um, that wasn't the intention. The intention was um, it doesn't matter to me how you explain something if you can produce consistent results, right? What yeah. matters to me is if you can produce, produce consistent results. And then you tell everybody else they're wrong by trying other different things, you know, and, and it's so fun to go out and say, man, you know, I, 
you know, if I want to go to a match, I do what works. And if I want to go to the range and screw around, you know, I go and tinker with all those variables and those variables are kind of fun. Like, um, so now, now that you mentioned the self-timing break rotation, do you have any other little things like that, that people could test? Cause I'm going to shit. I'm going to do that today. <laughs> yeah. Um, where your bipod is at on your rail, um, different bags, there's, there's little things that you can do that, I mean, this, this goes back to the question that what I want to talk about is what go, goes back to the question that I asked you, how confident are you that each shot you broke was, was consistent? Because when, when we're testing this stuff, you know, we need to understand that, um, you know, a lot of us aren't machines and, you know, how, how confident are you that, you can break the, the, the same shot over and over again, because if you're not, then your results are going to be somewhat, you know, one thing is test your load from different positions, you know, shoot from the bench, shoot from modified prone, um, shoot from prone position, and then take your rifle, stick it on a barricade and see how it performs. But I will go back to this. If you are shooting a trigger with sear adjustment, okay, you can play with your sear adjustment on your trigger, which goes to ignition, which is, uh, in, in my opinion, and a lot of other people's opinion, um, including the Kelby family as well, um, is that it, it all starts with ignition. So if you've got shit sear engagement and that firing pin is dragging over top of the sear as it's trying to get out of the way um buddy you're not going to have a consistent strike a, a consistent pierce on the primer every time and so ignition is huge so making sure that your trigger is is timed super right if you have the ability to tune your trigger um and there's plenty of videos that you can go and watch on youtube i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go there and tell people how to do that on each of their systems you can go and find it out but ignition is huge um, and we know this from the rim fire world and also from the bench rest world, but ignition is huge, big, big, big time. Um, another thing is when guys start seeing erratic results with their rifle system, fourth barrel, and all of a sudden they're, they're having a problem getting it tuned in. Um, one thing that I will always check is my firing pin spring. Okay. Springs wear out guys. Like this stuff does wear out. And so if I'm seeing some erratic stuff, I may pull that spring out, pop another spring on and screw it back into my bowl and go and shoot another group. I found this out the hard way uh, because I dry fire a lot. And I know you and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago in another conversation with having uh, one firing pin assembly for dry firing and one for actual, you know, live firing. But I was uh, shooting a, a match, pretty high stakes match, and uh, things just went to hell. Uh, my groups were all over the place. My speed was all over the place. Um, so I, I phoned Ian Kelby over at Kelby Rifles. I'm like, hey, dude, this is what's going on. I don't know what to do. This is like five or six years ago. And he's like, well, have you checked this? Have you checked that? I'm like, yeah, I went through all the checklists, you know, 
powder charge is consistent. Seam depth is consistent. Everything's consistent. He goes, check your firing pin spring. I'm going to send you some springs. Swap it out. Tell me what happens. So I go back. I swap out my firing pin spring. I take the same batch of ammo that I had left over from the match. I take it out to the range. What was a 0.7 group hones in to like a 0.3. And all of a sudden, my speed is within 10 feet per second of each shot right back in that zone. And guess what? My group tightened up. So that's something to think about as well. Firing print spring. I mean, they're like 10 bucks for a spring. Yeah. Well, that's a good, that's a good piece of advice. Yep. I think that that's awesome. I've heard um, people, I think it came from the rimfire stuff, but um, you know, before, because you know, you can't tinker with a rimfire load. People were trying to find ways to tinker with it anyway. And they messed with their action screw torque settings. Yep. You know, so like, you know, my, you know, most of my center fire rifles are 65 inch pounds front and back. And I've heard of people making them different front and back and adjusting them, you know, to the results that they get and being able to get consistent and repeatable results for different ammo by adjusting i haven't done that with a center fire so so i can't and i have i've actually never done that period but i've heard about it which seems interesting i don't like the idea of having stuff that's looser <laughs> but um but shit you know if, if it's repeatable and, and you can demonstrate i think the bag fill thing i have done a lot of testing on and then continuing to do and i have seen massively drastic differences in in some of the more popular stuff I think it's worse results. I think that, that a lot of shooters out there, you know, the, the probably the most popular setup that's out there right now, I think they could get better results with different bag and fill combo personally. Uh, oh, hundred percent. I've been testing that a lot too. And I just switched my bag setup after a long time of using one. I'm not going to go into specifics, um, but the, the one bag that I was using, you can see it on my Instagram page. Everybody knows what it is anyways. But uh, I, just, I just switched it out after a lot of testing, both live fire and dry fire with different bags and different fills. And so, you know, the results presented themselves. And, you know, with a different bag and different fill, literally my shooting tightened up by almost 0.2 of an inch just by switching my back. And so yeah. uh, proof's in the pudding. Do I, do I understand how it works? No. Do I, do I need to? No, I don't care because I got the result that I'm looking for. And that's, you know, that, that goes kind of against the other part of me that's like, I have to have an explanation because I have to be able to uh, have a logical uh, way of thinking about this so that I can really understand it. And it's like, okay, we'll put, put the need for having to have everything make sense and understand things off to the side. This works. I don't know how it works and that's okay. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, I think it's fine to have two, two aspects of your personality that you understand when you need results, you know how to get them. And when it's time to try to explain things, you put those results aside and think about it with a you know with your peripheral vision on like that's human and that's smart it's intelligent and it allows you not only to get results when you need them or 
you know, give you a better chance of getting the results when you need them. But also, wow, that's so weird. Why would it do that? Let's keep exploring that area if it matters. But for a lot of people, it matters. And all they're doing is testing what, you know, or doing what people are saying to do rather than testing it. And then, you know, it's like, man, you know, you get better from doing these reps in the first place. So getting reps in your own data and then you just put it in a book and, um, you know, mark it down. And then when it comes up in the future, you go, Oh shit, I remember that. Um, you know, try this. Yeah. I, (laughs) I'm always telling people like at matches, um, you know, come up and, well, I read this on the internet. I'm like, dude, get off the damn internet, bro. Like get out in the field and just start shooting. Like try something, log it and shoot. Like how much time are, are we spending, you know, collectively on the internet researching a bunch of bullshit and finding out what everybody else's opinions are um, right. when we could actually be at home testing these things for ourselves. Um, another thing, Chris, I, I think is really important and I want to talk about is like, for example, I've, I spent a lot of time on the six by 47. Okay. Like I, I come from rock climbing, from racing cars, racing motorcycles. And if you are always changing your, your vehicle or your caliber or your rifle setup and, and you're, you're constantly changing shit, how are you ever going to figure out if you're improving or if you're being consistent? And I, I try to tell guys this all the time and it, it usually just you know, goes in one ear and out the other. I'm like, pick a caliber, learn it really, really, really well. You know, pick a system, find out what you like and stay there for a while because what you learn through that is going to be paramount. And I've, I've seen it in the PRS. I've seen it so many times, you know, every time some new caliber comes out, everybody's dumping their, their previous caliber that they've only shot one year's worth of matches with. They, oh, I've shot three matches and this new caliber came out and it's going to make my shooting so much better. And then they jump to another caliber. Well, now you have to learn how to load for that. Now you have to learn how that, that caliber acts in multiple different conditions. Um, and so really, I, I try to encourage people, like, pick a, pick a platform and pick a caliber and stick with it for a while. Learn it. Because when you learn that caliber, you're also learning its trends, you're also learning so many characteristics that as soon as you've got that dialed in, right, you've, you've somewhat mastered something, you can now move to another caliber and you know what variables um, equal X result. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. It's, it's like completely the opposite of what I do, but, but it, it totally makes sense. And I, I would probably be more likely to tell people what you just said and again my goal is to be able to shoot anything well yeah i guess i think it depends on goals but i do think that you'll get better faster doing what you said and you'll get results better and with the people that are like at the top of their particular interest that's what they've done yeah yeah they have to right you you have to to get to the peak you have to specialize Um, yeah my my and it comes down to your expectation 
Right. Right. My personal goal is to be able to pick up a rifle and shoot it. Like, you know, I don't, I don't care what it is. Like if there's a rifle on the ground, I pick it up and I look at the barrel and I go, Oh, it's a 308. I know how to shoot it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and I, and I can kind of, you know, I know it's general wind characteristics it's general elevation characteristics. Like that, that would be really fun for me. Like, you, you know, imagine, imagine like a, you know, 30 mile cross country race mm-hmm. and every mile there was a gun on the ground and a target in the distance and you had no information other than it was zeroed and you had to, you know, get an impact and you were scored on, you know, first round impact. And then how many rounds did it take to hit it after that? You know, like two characteristics. Cause like, you know, if you get a first round impact, <laughs> you understand, you understand the caliber already. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously you can walk in any round. So, like it's easier if you know how to shoot that caliber. Like, I, I think that would be fun, you know, like tw- 12 or 15, you know, different, different calibers. So let's, let's make it a 15 mile race, you know, and, and you got to run, a, run through the mountains and every mile there's another rifle with a magazine of ammo and, you know, a target out there. And, you know, you know, everything except for it's dope. You know, you know, the distance, you know the, or you don't know the distance. I don't know. I, I think that would be fucking fun as hell. I mean, I'd probably be the only one to sign up for the event, but it's you just, would. I was just, I was gonna say, uh, send me the link. I'm signing up right now. That sounds rad. It would be fun as hell. Like, all right, cool. Like, you know, um, uh, you know, you just pick the rifle up and shoot it. Like that. That's kind of like my daydream. It's like, yeah, I, I can shoot that pretty good. Yeah, if if there was yeah. a match with any one of those rifles, like. I would be upper mediocre because I, I mean, I consider myself like an upper mediocre shooter anyway, but I'm at least I'm upper mediocre across the board, not just in one, one element, you know? So like, you know, any, any, any one caliber and rifle and competition style, like, you know, I, I expect to be in the top 20% probably, you know, cause, cause that's kind of where I'm, you know, and, and hopefully like across the board that, that comes up, but I don't want it to be like top 1% in one, you know, and top 50% in everything else like that. No way. I'd rather be top 20% across the board than top 15% across the board than top 10 across the board. Like that, you know, but, but, but I, but there's no way that somebody won't get better faster with just one rifle. And, and I've even heard that taken to, um, Tate Streeter. You know, I remember once I asked him like, Hey, what are you training with? And he says, you have to train with the rifle you compete with, with the caliber you compete with, you know? And I was like, yeah, but what about yeah. money savings? He's like, man, you're going to buy, a, you're either going to buy like, um, another rifle with more ammo, more dyes, you know, or, you, you know, like the, the, cost benefit ratio he's like you know so so or your competition whatever gun you know you buy another barrel that's 700 bucks but you're that's it you're investing 700 bucks at what point does the whole training setup pay itself off you know you're talking years down the road and 
you're getting yourself tuned for that training caliber, not for your competition caliber. So, so he, you know, he, and, and I think all those guys say like, they, they, they just shoot their competition guns and they buy an extra barrel a year, you know, so it costs them 700 bucks more a year versus $7,000 more. And, you know, if you make that projection, people give up on shooting before they pay that off, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, I heard that. And that, 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 mm-hmm. that did, you know, I mean, it, it sunk in cause it was coming from a guy like Tate and I've heard other people say the exact same thing. Like they, they, you know, they shoot their competition guns. I've heard it the other way, but, but, you know, again, like I want to be able to pick up an AK 47 and drive it. I want to pick up a AR 15 and drive it. I want to pick up a pistol and shoot it. I want to pick up a, you know, uh, you name it and I want to be able to shoot it and understand how it works. And yeah, even if it takes me a hundred years, you know, I want to be consistent across platforms and that comes at a huge sacrifice of performance, but, but that's my choice to make, you know, and I'm, I'm the only one on this journey. Um, but that doesn't mean I don't understand how to help people get good at their specific job. And I think some of it comes down to, like, dude, you got to get out there and do these tests like we're talking about. Yeah, I, I think that's really huge. You know, what, what you, you just said about being able to do, you know, pick up multiple different systems and perform well with them. But, you know, yes, it does come with a sacrifice of performance, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, the thing that I am always honing in on, whether I'm training shooters or, you know, I'm, I'm coaching somebody is that you know, let's, let's be very clear before you get into this and, and go down this rabbit hole of really hammering out and clarifying your expectations. Like, what do you want out of this? Um, because it's really easy to get derailed. Um, for example, on the internet, you know, oh, well, I just, I just saw that, you know, SAC posted this thing about, you know, bullets perform better, at, you know, this ridiculous jump of 140,000. Um, oh, I need to go and do that. Oh, hang on. Wait, is that part of your, your expectation? Like what you're doing this for? Like, if you want to tinker, that's cool. But just understand that if you're going for performance and you're going for X result or X expectation that you kind of, in my opinion, should keep that in the forefront while you're on this journey. Just like you said um, earlier about being able to perform well with anything like that's your goal. That's your focus. And to make sure that you keep your focus there, because if not, it's super easy to get discouraged and derailed. Um, and I've seen that with probably a hundred shooters, um, that didn't have their expectations clear and concise. And then, you know, just got caught up in the weeds and in the minutia and in the banter on the internet. And then all of a sudden leave something that they truly loved, uh, because they just got discouraged. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I see that a lot. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to have to go soon, but I'm going to leave it revisiting something I, I was, I, I mentioned to Eric Cortina when he was on here, I ran a weapon employment zone calculator kind of run through for a one MOA target at a thousand yards. Cause I knew we were going to be talking about F class yeah, and, and I did the hit probability calculators, everything, everything was, you know, basically held constant, right. It was for like 3000 feet per second. Um, you know, the, the wind variables were constant, that everything was constant. And I, and I just went 0.2 group 
you know, a standard deviation of group size, right? 0. 0.2, yep. 0. 0.3, 0. 0.5, 0. 0.75. The difference in hit probability, you know, all else constant from 0. 0.2, 0. 0.3 to 0. 0.7, 0. 0.75, something like that. Like, which, which, you know, if, if we're talking about loading, people would argue that 0. 0.2 is better than 0. 0.7, right? And they would be justified because that's a big difference. Hit probability mm -hmm. on a ten, uh, one MOA, a 10 inch plate at a thousand yards, it was, it was just under 2%. So, you know, so if, if, you know, what, basically what that's saying is that, um, you know, to, to kind of, I guess, to generalize, like if we took a hundred shots, right. And we had to bet odds were that, that the 0.7 group is going to have two shots that, that miss compared to the 0.2 or 0.3. Right. So exactly. Yeah. But, but, but out of a hundred now, now that's probability. So that doesn't mean it's going to, and that, that doesn't mean that it's guaranteed, you know, assuming that, you know, basically like, you know, you're, you're talking about like railgun performance because it has to be 0.2 all the time, 0.7 all the time. Right. But, but, but it basically saying that like on a one MOA, a 10 inch plate at a thousand yards, it's the hit probability difference of a, you know, quarter inch load to a three quarter inch load was extremely small. Like probably, probably something that the majority of shooters would never be able to shoot the difference, right? 2%. So 2%, could it cost you a first place to a second place? Yeah, it probably could, right? A first place to a second place if, if it's the very, very best shooters in the world, right? But yep. regard, regardless of that, the difference of reading the wind, you know, this, the, this was for F class. Um, half a mile an hour was 19% increase so yep. so you got like okay so so from one mile an hour to a half mile an hour and they've got flags so they can read things to very 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 close and they take ciders so yeah they're not they're not they're not just there like wind reading like you would at prs or wind reading like you would at a hunter mats like they've got flags they've got ciders they can they can yep. really refine their wind call so so it's i don't think it's not realistic to imagine them taking you know a good one mile an hour deviation of wind to a half mile an hour if they've got the skill because you know we're talking about good shooters well that that went from 75 percent to 95 percent right or 77 percent to 97 percent hit rate so 97 percent hit rate with a 0.75 three-quarter moa load right or a 96 percent hit rate or, or maybe it was 97 with uh you know 0.3 or the quarter inch load and 96% hit rate with the three quarter inch load. Like, okay. So now you're talking about 1% difference with being able to refine your wind call. Like I, I think you could definitely go down the loading rabbit hole and be like, Oh my God, my load, my load, my load, my load <clears throat> for, for what we're doing, right. 10 inches at a thousand yards is good. It's a high level of performance. And the reason I'm keeping it, keeping it small is that, that, you know, it becomes even less, important as the targets get bigger but wind wind stays consistent you know consistently relevant and then what you brought up right to begin with like the shooter is everything because the variation of the wind is usually less than the variation of the shooter most shooters don't understand how to apply consistent fundamentals over time right. and i can show that right yep. rifle craft shows that right it's not a training program it's a measure of 
consistently applied fundamentals. And if the average shooter is shooting three and a half inches, that says something. Yeah, that's, right? I mean, I mean it, across positions, you know, again, consistently it, across positions, build yeah, and break, build like, and break, build and break, build and break. And all of a sudden, you know, that sub inch load isn't going to make up for three inches of variability. Correct. I mean, we just spent an hour talking about the minutia of, of reloading and all this other stuff. And yet, you know, to, to plug rifle craft, I mean, you go out and, and shoot a drill. I mean, what, what is, what is your ability to w- read wind? I mean, if you were to literally just go out and shoot, take a month and shoot craft drills, right. And get all of your numbers and find out what your wind reading ability is, um, what, what your fundamentals are, et cetera. And you were to assign a number to that. And then you were to look at all this time that you spend in the reloading room, trying to tune this group down. Um, guess what's going to have the bigger impact the shooter always. And so, yeah, we, we can spend forever in the lab tuning all these loads, but first and foremost, if, if you can't do your job as a shooter and be consistent, everything that we're talking about doesn't really matter. And it's like one of my favorite things to just kind of finish it out with my thoughts is when I'm at matches, we we'll, would we'll often hear these guys talking about SDs and ESs. And my favorite thing to say is that shit doesn't matter. And until you can actually do the math on your SD or your ES with your bullet and your speed and your ability as a shooter. And if you can show me what that looks like, guess what? Your SD um, of, or your ES of single digits versus your ES of 16, is that going to get you any more hits at a silhouette at a thousand yards? If your fundamentals suck? No. No, it's not. And so I think that's, I'm not on the AB like bandwagon or anything, but there's some super valuable stuff in there, which is the WES analysis. And if you really take the time to plug all of your numbers in and do the math, you're going to find out that a lot of this stuff that you see on the internet, a lot of this banter that you hear shooters talking about doesn't really matter. We have a helicopter, we can purchase the drill. Yeah, I think hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, because that's, that's not, that's physics, right? That's yeah. physics and engineering. Like that's, that's math. You know, right? a standard deviation is vertical at a distance period. Right. Yep. And, yep. and even though you add vertical from, from yourself, like if that vertical is within the target, well, then you're not going to miss it because of vertical. So, correct. Um, so yeah, I agree. I, I've said the same thing. I mean, but but there's always the caveat to it, right? You know, the vertical has to be within the target. But Correct. how much vertical is a standard deviation of 15 at the distance that you're shooting? Well, that's easy to calculate, but people need to calculate that. Say, okay, cool. That that's why, you know, that, that that's exactly why on a on a prior podcast I said, look, my, you know, I'll shoot factory all day. It has to have a standard deviation under 15 for me. Yeah. Like, yeah. okay, cool. If it's, if it's 14, am I going to pick four, you know, or, or, or 10, like, or nine or eight? I, I don't think it's going to make a difference for me. It just has to be under 15. Like, yeah, if it's, if it's under 15, I'll shoot it. I'll take it to a match. If, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm, it's I'm, cool. It feels nice when it's better, but it, it won't perform any different for me, for what I do now, because I know that the height of the targets I'm shooting at, if if we were shooting at a five inch plate at a thousand yards, 
I would need an SD to fit inside that five inch plate at a thousand yards plus or minus the vertical that you would get from wind variations. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, with, you know, cause it's something that small, then all those minutia do carry into it, but, but those mm-hmm. minutia go away as the target gets bigger. Right. So, so it, dep- it, it kind of depends on the context, right? Like if, if, if we're, if we're trying to shoot a five inch plate at a thousand yards, the, the answer is much different than if we're trying to shoot a 10 inch plate. And it's much different if we're trying to shoot a human silhouette. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yep. the conversation 100%. is a lot, it, it is a lot different and, yeah. and, uh, all right, cool. I, I, but I do have to, um, split. So thank you. I'm going to post this probably today and then I'm going to reach back out so we can catch up some more. Um, yeah. But things just got noisy in the house. So I got to, I got to split and I got to go do some of these tests. Yeah. Well, this was fun. It was a fun conversation. Yeah. Totally. All right, man. Well, thank you. And Hi, I will you're talk welcome. To you soon. Sounds good, bro. Bye. Bye. This is where I jump in to say that if you go to rivalcraft.com and get a subscription, you get added metrics to your profile on the website, which can help you get better, more accurate information about your shooting that you could use to propel your training and understanding of your shooting forward. You get emails, subcoms, emails with training targets, ideas, and uh, product discounts as they come about. And you get access to another podcast just like this called The Subcast, where I continue to ask experts and talk about details just like the Riflecraft straight dope podcast but there's more of it so you get double the content i try to be much more specific so um you're just gonna have to subscribe if you want more and don't if you don't i know there's a lot of podcasts out there and they all cover the same topics i've got my own style if you like my style and you want more of it that's a really good way to do it you don't have to but it sure helps promote and ensure that this podcast continues to operate the way it does. So it's kind of a win-win for everybody. More content, more interviews, more specifics, more ideas for your training, and you're supporting it all as a subscriber with the benefits that come from it. So go check it out at riflecraft.com, get a subscription, and join the growing tribe of people who are trying to empower themselves by learning and experimenting and driving their skill and knowledge to the next level. Thank you.